Welcome to The Rock Podcast. This morning, we have a special guest, the professor of Christian ministry and leadership at Biola University, Don Sanukjian. Don joins us this morning to share a message that will encourage, equip, and empower us to continually grow in our faith. Who can tell us who Sophie Tucker was? The last of the red hot mamas. The last of the red hot mamas. That is evidence of a misspent childhood. (laughs) Sophie Tucker was a nightclub singer, called herself the last of the Red Hot Mamas. She used to tell her audiences, folks, I've been rich and I've been poor. And believe me, rich is better. (laughs) And we would agree, of course, rich is better and God has made us rich. In his goodness, he has given us all things richly to enjoy. Our houses are comfortable. We eat well. Our cars get us where we want to go. Our children are dressed nicely. We have computers and televisions and phones. We are rich. And we are grateful to God for that. It is his goodness, not that we have deserved it, but in his sovereign will, he chose to do that for us. But with the riches, the scripture says, also comes a difficulty, a barrier to having the walk with God that we would want to have. Our riches are an obstacle to laying hold of the life with him that we really want to have. And we saw last week it's because our riches tend to make us independent of him. We've got enough money to solve our problems and we don't think of him. We don't pray. We don't ask help because, well, I can write a check. Our riches make us independent, self-sufficient. And then secondly, our riches tend to make us self-centered. We have the money, and so we think of what will we buy next? Uh, What will we spend on? What will we add to our material possessions? And as a result, we become self-focused, and we become worldly focused, and temporally focused to the things of life instead of thinking about God. And so our riches against our will cause us difficulties. But God offers to instruct us. He offers to give us instruction, teaching, that if we have a heart to respond to it, even in the midst of our riches, we can still move toward that life, that intimacy, that sense of being connected to him all the time. So today we want to look at that instruction. We're going to turn to a place where Jesus will give us one statement of instruction and then two reasons for that instruction. He will encourage us in one statement to move in this direction, and then he will give us two reasons why it would be so much to our advantage to move in that direction. So one instruction and two reasons. So we'll turn to Matthew chapter 6, the first book in the New Testament, first of the Gospels. Matthew chapter 6. 
And we will look, first of all, at the statement of instruction. And in summary, here's what the instruction will be. Care more about what your money does for God than what it does for yourself. Your money will do lots of things for yourself, and it's okay to give attention to those things. But care more, care first about what your money does for God. Among all the thoughts that you have about money, let the dominant thought, let the thought that pops into your head the first, let the thought that stays on top of all other thoughts, let that be the thought, what is my money doing for God? Secondarily, what is it doing for myself? That's going to be the statement of instruction. And we're going to see this statement in the first phrase of verse 19 and the first phrase of verse 20. Matthew 6, 19 and 20. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. But verse 20, instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Care more about treasures in heaven. Let that be the dominant thought that you have. And then secondarily, the treasures on earth. You know, we have lots of thoughts about money. Uh, my daughter needs braces. Uh, the stock market has been going up. I think my IRA ought to be doing pretty good. I wonder how much money I'm going to get back on my tax refund this year. Okay. Uh, my company gave a 3% raise this year. Not too bad. We were expecting two. Not as good as the five we got last year. I mean, we have all kinds of thoughts about money. Where am I going? How much is tuition going to cost for next semester? All kinds of thoughts about money. Necessary thoughts. But we need to have one thought that sticks above all of the others, and it's the first thought. So that when our income tax refund comes back, the first thought is, is there something God wants me to do for him with this money? We ask that question first, and then we come to the other questions. When we get a raise, when we get a new job, and our lifestyle has the possibility of going up, before we make decisions about other things, our first thought, our dominant thought, the master thought, what is my money doing for God? That's the statement of instruction, and it becomes very clear that this is what Jesus has in mind. If you look back down in verse 24, just a few verses later, he will say, you do make a choice as to which thought you will have a dominant. Uh, verse 24, no one can serve equally two masters. You cannot equally serve, commit yourself, loyally be responsible to two masters. You can't do it. You opt for one or the other over the other, okay? Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. Now, the language there is a little severe, hate and thing. And what Jesus is doing is when he says he will hate the one and love the other, he will uh, uh, commit, what is this? he will be devoted to one and he will despise the other. He's using the language of comparison and contrast. Uh, in the culture of the day, whenever they wanted to compare or contrast two things, in order to make a sharp distinction, they would describe them in opposite directions, okay? He will hate the one, he will love the other, he will, dis he will be devoted to the one, he will they would describe them in, in a way to show a, a separation. Like, for instance, suppose... Suppose uh, I was tossing a football around and, and I motioned you down and I went like a, and then I, 
And I threw it 30 yards, hit you right in the hands, you know, bow. And you look and say, wow, you have an arm. Okay? And then I said, hey, if you think a noodle arm like me can throw the ball, you ought to see what an NFL cannon quarterback can do. Okay? Now, I'm not a noodle arm. I just threw it 30 yards and hit you in the hand. But in comparison to one of those guys that can throw it 70 yards downfield, yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, you hear the same language in, when Jesus says, whoever does not hate father and mother cannot be my disciple. Okay? Now, we know we're not supposed to hate our father and our mother. I mean, I mean, of all the relationships on earth, that's the one we are to honor the most. But in comparison, in contrast to the loyalty and devotion and commitment that we are to give to him as a, a, a follower of him, it's as though you come second. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying here. You can't serve two masters. You're going to pick one or the other. You're going to give a preference to one. Uh, for a brief time of my life, I worked for two masters. Uh, I was a part-time employee at a garage and service station. And the service station in the garage was owned by two men. They were brothers-in-law, and they were 50-50 equal owners, equally my master, okay? Now, one of them would say, Saturday dawn, come in in the morning. The other one would say, Saturday dawn, come in in the afternoon. I'm part-time. I got to choose. One of them would say, get back under here and help lube this car and drain the oil. The other one would say, once you out there on the front on the pumps, pump gas, check oil, wash windows. This is back in the days when we did all those things. Well, we, you know, one of them would come to me and he'd hand me a set of keys and he'd say, these are the keys to the green Buick. Mrs. Sturdivant, she lives up on Holliston. Drive the Buick up to her. She'll get in the car. She'll drive you back down here and pay her bill. And I'm getting ready to go in the car, and the other one says, where are you going? I said, Key, Sturdivant, all this. No, 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 no. Get that bucket, come into the lavatory over here. We got some mopping. Okay. You cannot serve two masters. Since one of the men was my father, the choice was easy. <laughs> but that's what Jesus is saying. You cannot serve... God and money. You're going to make a choice. Somewhere in the crunch, you tilt one way or the other. And Jesus is saying, tilt toward God. Tilt toward what is my money doing for God that matters more, that comes first. Now you say, well, how do I know whether I'm doing that or not? I do give. I regularly put something. Uh, I write checks to organization, mission organizations. I, uh, I, I give, but we're planning a vacation this summer that's going to cost a little bit. Um, we're thinking about recarpeting. Uh, uh, you know, I mean, how do I know which way I tilt? Because I think I do both, you know. How do I know which is the most important to my thought? In the Old Testament, there was a way in which the godly man or woman knew which way they tilted. 
They had a confidence that if they followed a certain set of guidelines that God gave them, they knew that their heart cared first of all about God. And, and they had that sense of, yes, I am following and connected to God. Uh, the Old Testament, the guidelines of the Old Testament are what we often refer to as tithes. Tithes. Now, when we think about tithes in the Old Testament, a tithe is a 10%. We usually think that in the Old Testament, they gave a tithe, that they gave 10% of their income to the Lord. Actually, in the Old Testament, they gave three tithes. They tithed first, and then on what was remaining, they tithed the second time, and then they tithed the third time. There were three separate tithes. The first tithe is the one that we're familiar with. We're com- we, we, we know this one. It's the worship tithe. Okay? They gave 10% of their income, and it went to the worship of the Lord in the temple. It supported the priests. It bought the oil. It bought the sacrifices. It replenished the broken pottery. Whatever was the expense of the house of the Lord, they gave a 10% to that. That was the first tithe. We're, we know that one, the worship tithe. But the Bible tells us, and I'll turn there in a minute, that they gave us, they gave a second tithe. So if we start out with the numbers of 100 and we subtract the first tithe, which is 10, that would leave us with 90, okay? They would come to the 90 and they would tithe again. And so you would subtract 9 and now you're at 81, okay? Uh, And that second tithe was not the worship tithe. Let's call it a celebration tithe. And in the Old Testament, God said, you will take 10% after you've done the first tithe. You'll take another 10%. And this will be a celebration tithe. You will take 10% of of all that you have earned, whatever your crops have brought in, whatever animals have bred, uh, whatever uh, vineyards. Take all of that stuff. Take it to Jerusalem. Take it to the house of the Lord. Take it to the place where the Lord has placed his name. And there in the presence of the Lord, inviting the priests, have one glorious feast in which you celebrate by consuming 9% of your income, you celebrate how rich God has made you. In fact, the head of the household would take a representative basket And he would take it into the presence of the Lord. And he would say, my ancestors were wandering Arameans. But you have brought me into a land flowing with milk and honey. You've made me rich. And the evidence of my recognition, how rich God has made me, is that we are going to consume 9% of our income in one Thanksgiving feast. The Bible said if Jerusalem's too far away, you can't get there with all that stuff, turn it into silver in your community, take the silver with you, and when you get to Jerusalem, reconvert that silver into consumables. The rabbi said you you can't even buy a plate, a serving plate that you're going to take back with you. No, everything has to be consumed. God said, I just want you to know how rich I've made you. I want you to acknowledge it. I want you to sense it. I want you to feel it. I want you to rejoice in my presence. And my friend, sometimes God will lead you to do that. Sometimes it takes as simple a form as going into 21 flavors and getting two scoops instead of one. God has made me rich, okay? 
Sometimes it means a vacation where you take your extended family with you and you pay for the vacation so that you can create this wonderful memory and everybody has the sense of we do this because God has made us rich. There is a rejoicing in how good our God has been to us. But that was the second tithe. First tithe, the worship tithe. Second tithe, the celebration tithe. Third tithe was a welfare tithe. Now this tithe, they didn't do every year. They did it every three years. So you've got, we subtracted our 10, we got 90, we subtracted our nine, we got 81. Every third year, so divide 81 by three and you come out 2.7. They would do 2.7 every third year. Uh, of, uh, and then this welfare tithe was used for their local community. It went to the orphans and to the widows and to support the priests who were not in Jerusalem at that time who did not have any land of their own. And so that was right. So you, you put these three together. And in the Old Testament, you've got a 10 and a 9 and a 2.1. You're over 20%. Now, I told you I will show you those two ties, the other second and third. So real quickly, back in Deuteronomy 14, to see that these two ties, which we're not as familiar with, Fifth, fifth book of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I'll give you time to find it. Deuteronomy chapter 14. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay. Um, first of all, the celebration tithe. Verse 22, Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. This is now... This is not the worship tithe, not the one that goes to the temple. This is the one that's going to be eaten. Be sure to set aside a tenth of all that all your fields produce each year. This is now a tenth of the 90. Eat the tithe, this tithe, of your grain, your wine, your oil, the firstborn of your herds and flocks. This is going to be a massive meal. Eat it in the presence of the Lord your God. Do it at the place that he will choose as a dwelling for his name. In Deuteronomy, they didn't know yet where that was going to be. It turns out it's going to be Jerusalem, okay? And do this eating meal so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. Now, if that place is too distant and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and you cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, well then exchange your tithe for silver. Take the silver with you and go to the place where the Lord your God will choose. And use the silver to buy whatever you like. Again, filet mignon, veal, says cattle and sheep, you understand wine or other fermented, anything you wish, whatever you want. The best foods. You and your household will eat there in the presence of the Lord your God. You will rejoice how rich he has made you. And invite the Levites. Do not neglect them, for they, they need it. Okay? And then immediately following is the welfare tithe. Verse 28. At the end of three years, bring the tithe, here's a third tithe. Bring the tithe of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites who have no land inheritance of their own and immigrants and the fatherless and the widows who live in your towns and are in poverty 
They can come and the storehouse will have place something for them to eat and be satisfied. The Lord your God will bless you. So three ties. Now, in the Old Testament, if somebody followed these guidelines, they're basically giving over 20% of their income to the Lord. And the reason that gave them confidence that they were, God was first, was because giving 20% to the Lord kind of retards self-accumulation. Okay? When 20% of your income is going to the Lord, it sort of proves that your first thought is not, how much can I get for myself? Money is not, first of all, devoted to me. It's going to God. It would be like you decided you wanted to put, build a deck in a hot tub in your backyard, on your patio. And you research it out. It's going to cost $15,000. All right, $15,000. How fast can we afford getting that deck? If we're not going to put it on a credit card, we're going to pay cash for it. Okay. Um, $15,000. Well, let's say our income is $5,000 a month. Okay. And let's say that our expenses are $3,500 a month. $5,000 income. Expenses, $3,500. We got $1,500 a month. Clear. How many months at $1,500 a month, which we have, how many months will it take to afford a $15,000 deck spa? 10 months. 10 months. Okay. Now, in the Old Testament, somebody would say, okay, let's see. We've got $5,000 a month income but we give 20% to the Lord, okay? So actually, we've got $4,000 to work with. Uh, what was our expenses? $3,500. Okay, $3,500 from $4,000 is $500, not $1,500. How many months at $500 will it take to get a $15,000 pool? Not 10 months, 30 months, two and a half years. And they would say, okay. The fact that we are going to take two and a half years to get that pool, rather than the 10 months that we could have used, proves our first thought is, what is our money doing for God and not what second for itself? So in the Old Testament, now those, that's the Old Testament guidelines, but that's kind of the sense of what, where you, when you are giving generously to the Lord, where where you are delaying or doing without something that you could have bought for yourself because you are more concerned about what your money is going to do for God. At that point, you and I, even in the riches that God has given us, we are moving toward that life with God because he matters more than what I can do for myself. That's the instruction. Care, first of all, your dominant thought. Always asking yourself, how much am I giving? Am I, am I honoring the Lord? Is it coming ahead of self-possessions? That's the dominant thought. If you move toward that thought, you will break into the, the life God wants you to have. Now, that's the instruction. What are the two reasons for it? What two reasons does Jesus think would be why we would want to move that direction? All right, the first of the reasons why is whatever you're doing for God is permanent. It's eternal. 
whatever you do for yourself, as good as it may be and as necessary as it may be, it's impermanent. It doesn't last. Okay? That's what Jesus goes on to say in verses back in Matthew and verses 19 and 20. Okay? Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Why? It's impermanent. It won't last. It's not secure. Can't count on it. Okay? Moth, rust, destroy. Thieves break in and steal. It's impermanent. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Why? It's eternal. It lasts. Moth and rust don't destroy. Thieves do not break in and steal. Now, the language he's using to describe what's permanent or impermanent is how the riches of that day were lost. When he says moth and rust destroy, moth, he's looking at the rich man who has closets full of silks and imported fabrics, and a little moth gets in there and, you know, I, 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 had, a, I had a burgundy sweater, V-neck, short sleeve, no sleeves. And I had a, a white and burgundy striped shirt that went underneath it and I put that on. I looked good. <laughs> yeah. One day I took that sweater out to put it on. There was a little hole right there. Right there. Nell sewed it, but it was pinched. I mean, she's good, but there's just nothing you could do. Never wore that sweater again. Moths get in. He says, rust destroys. And the word rust there is the word for eater. A rust would corrode, but also anything that ate. And that word eater was used for something that would get into the sacks of grain uh, that the rich person would have. You know, storing up treasures on earth, but we, when we first got married, we were, uh, we were still in graduate school, and uh, the Armenians eat a lot of pilaf. Okay, we, a lot, that's kind of, instead of potatoes, we eat a lot of pilaf. And you can spend Uncle Ben's rice off the grocery store, or you can find a place that will sell you bulk rice, okay? So, I mean, poor seminary students, we wanted to buy bulk rice to save some money. So we had a, a barrel about this big of bulk rice that you would scoop out and you would make your pilaf. And, you know, over the months, that was going to save us a lot of money. Well, one day, I'm sitting at my desk doing some work, and Nell's getting dinner ready, and all of a sudden I hear, eek! <laughs> Don, come here, come here! What, what, what is it? What is it? Look in there! <laughs> and there were just some little black things that were scurrying around. And I said, well, just, just shove, shove, shove. <laughs> no! That's my treasure! Okay. It's, it's just impermanent. You buy a new car. <sniffs> Smells nice. Right? A week later, somebody bangs their door into it in the parking lot. Scratch. Dent. Okay? You get a carpet, new carpet. Somebody spills Kool-Aid. 
Okay. Uh, it's just nothing's permanent. Okay. Uh, stock market's doing well. Many of us can remember seven, eight years ago, you lost half of your income on the stock market. It's, Jesus is saying, whatever you do for yourself, yeah, as necessary as it might be, at least recognize it doesn't last. Whatever you do for God, nothing can diminish it. Okay? You give the gifts that Pastor Ross takes and they bless some pastor in India or they enable him to keep on ministering and a whole church is blessed through the word of God over there. You do something here locally that Awana, for the Awana program, okay, that enables Awana to buy the supplies and to be able to do what they're going to do. And you got a couple of young kids in the Awana program. And when they're seven or eight, they're the best buddies, you know, boy and a girl. Yeah, they've been playing together. But when they get about 11 or 12 or 13, all of a sudden, she's giggling with her girlfriends and pointing at him. And he's terribly insecure as to what they're saying. And his, but see, he doesn't know that she likes him. But he likes her too. You know how he shows it? He punches her, he pulls her hair. Okay? But they're going through a wana together. And then they get about 15 or 16, and they're no longer punching and giggling at each other. They're. Going on dates. And maybe in college they're part of the Nepal team. And they see a vision for what God may want them to do. When they get married, that's where they're heading. Your money did something eternal. The contribution you made. You learn of a young couple here at the Rock. Young married couple, new baby. They're having a tough time financially. Maybe one of he's lost a job. Maybe he's out looking for work. Maybe the rent is overdue. Maybe the baby is colicky and keeping her up all night long. And there's just nothing but discouragement in that whole family. We don't have the money to pay our rent. Our baby needs doctor help, but we don't have any health insurance or we don't know what to do. And they're just almost at the point of her thinking, I think I'll go live with my folks. And you just learn of this discouragement. And you go up to one of the pastors and you hand him an envelope and you say, Give this envelope to that couple. Don't tell them where it came from. There's nothing in the envelope other than, let's say, 10 $100 bills. Okay? There's no way of checking. There's no check with a name on it. It's just it's an anonymous gift. Make sure they don't know where it came from. Just tell them, somebody gave me this to give to you and to say Jesus loves you. And my friend, whatever you do for God, has made that marriage prosper and stay together joyfully in the Lord. That's the first reason. Care more about what your money does for God because whatever you do there, it's going to last. It's going to be eternal. Other stuff, eh, okay. But second, second, second. There's a second reason why Jesus gives us this instruction. Care more about what your money does for God first because it's permanent, it's eternal. Second, it's the door to the spiritual life. 
It is the gate through which you step into the walk with God. The secret to a life with God begins with a commitment. My money, first of all, goes toward him. That's what Jesus is saying in verse 22. No, 21. Put treasure in heaven. Verse 21, why? What's the reason? Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to go. If your treasure is in heaven, your heart will head toward heaven. If your treasure is on earth, your heart will stay on earth. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart. Now, we usually have that reversed. Jesus is saying is, where your treasure is, your heart will follow. We usually say, where your heart is, your treasure will follow. That's kind of the way we put it, okay? If you take a trip to Southern California and look at colleges or something, and uh, while you're there, uh, your, your son or daughter is staying in the dormitories and attending classes, and you got a little bit of time on your hand, and you come around over to Talbot, where, we, where my office is, and uh, yeah, I see you, and I say, oh, hey, good to see you. Uh, let me give you a little tour. And so I give you a little tour of the Talbot section of the Biola campus, and you see the, I take you into my homiletics room, my preaching lab, and you see this wonderful soundproof booth that I've got, and I sit back there with a headset on, and I listen to them preach, and I have a microphone, and I can make voiceover comments onto their DVD that is recording them as to what they're doing, and afterwards they take a DVD home, and they watch themselves and hear my comment, and you go, wow, this is really a good setup. I said, yeah, uh, let me show you some of the, and, and yeah. You say, man, I had no idea Talbot was so large and su such a great... I said, yeah, why don't you think about giving it, giving to it? See, I got your heart, and now maybe your money will follow. All right. Now, well, maybe that's true, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, if you get the money, the heart follows. Wherever your money is, that's where your heart is. Okay, last week, Super Bowl game. I know none of you bet on the game, even though I told you lots of ways you could. <laughs> but let's suppose you were watching the game with a friend, and the friend had moved here recently from Atlanta and had a $100 bet on Atlanta. Atlanta was underdogs. If they were going to, if Atlanta won three to one underdogs, they were going to get $300 off their $100 bet. Now you're watching the game. I mean... You don't care. Patriots, Atlanta, just want to watch the Super Bowl game. Okay? You got no money in there, your heart. He's got his money on Atlanta. Where's his heart? Well, for the first two, two or three quarters, he was doing okay. your treasure is. <laughs> In South America, Central America, 
there must be seven or eight little countries. The only one I ever read about or pay close attention to is Guatemala. Why? Because for the last three or four decades, Nell and I have been supporting a particular missionary in Guatemala. I mean, I got money going to Guatemala every month. Where my treasure is, oh, what's happening in Guatemala? Oh, they've had a revolution. Surprise. <laughs> See, Jesus is saying where your treasure is. When you and I care more about what our money's doing for God and we store up treasure in heaven, our heart moves into God's presence. We are showing him how worthy he is. We are declaring our trust that he is taking care of us. He is providing for us. We are expressing our gratitude for all that he is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. That's where the spiritual life starts connecting with God. The illustration that he says in verse 22 and 23 says, all of life spiritually is affected by your attitude toward your money and what it's doing for God. And he will give an illustration. He will talk about the eye. He will say the eye is the lamp of the body. Okay? Yeah, my eye, your eye. Oh, that's the lamp for the whole body. Okay? This is where the light is. And this is the whole body has now a lamp that can help it to see where it needs to go. So the, the eye governs the whole body. It, it makes, okay, affects the whole body. Now, if your eyes are good, your whole body's full of light. My eyes are good, so my feet are full of light. My hands are full of light. If your eye is good, the whole body's full of light. If your eyes are bad, the whole body is full of darkness. Eyes are bad. Feet are full of darkness. Hands are If the light that was intended to bring you light, if the light within you is darkness, how great, how pervasive, how all-encompassing is that darkness? If the thoughts about what my money was to do to go for God is like the eye of the lamp that lets in God's light to my whole body, if my eye is good, if my thoughts about money for God are what they ought to be, the whole body is full of light. The whole body has God's light streaming into it. When I go to work, I enjoy the work. They like me at work. They see me as a comer. They have me on the fast track. I get promotions. I get ready. The whole body is full of light. But if my eyes are bad, the whole body is full of darkness. I don't like to go to work. I don't like the people at work. They don't like me. People hired after me get promoted ahead of me. Darkness. If my eye is good, I look at my family. I love 
I take joy in my family. I look forward to coming home. My wife and I, we get along. My eyes are... I try and stay and work late. It's no fun going home. My wife and I is just bickering and arguing all the time. My kids fight all the time. Darkness. Right? Old body is full of light. I have some areas I'm trying to grow spiritually, and I'm pleased that I'm making progress. I'm not perfect, but I see myself growing. Darkness. I sin, same sins. Same frequency. Never seem to be able to do any better. Always seem to be just burdened down with distance from God. Now, my friend, it's the key to the spiritual life. Care more about what your money does for God. It's permanent. It's where you lay hold of God and the life he wants for you. Lord, thank you. Thank you for making us rich. Thank you for giving us such concrete guidance as to how in our riches we can still walk with you like we would like to. We can honor you. We can declare our worthiness, your, your worthiness and our trust in you. Because out of all of our riches, our first thought is, what can we do for you? We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think what I appreciated most was the sensitivity with a difficult subject, the profoundness, the depth, and the sensitivity of being able to talk about something that is driving all of our lives to have a biblical uh, perspective on what's so very important. Don, you did that with such grace and anointing from the Lord. And I just want to commend our church in a way for generosity. As you know, we don't have outstanding debt, and this church is very generous. For example, uh, Nepal asked for, they had a list of 30 different things. Hey, if you could bring this, you know, power tools or beef jerky or the list went on for days, right? So we made that available. So each of the Nepali, <laughs> the people went to Nepal, went, took a suitcase and it was filled with every single thing on that list would just pack because of the generosity. I've been through this with you guys for 14 years. That's how this church is. And, and, and the funny thing is, is the more that we do things like that, the, the more that we have. It's just this thing. It's just, it's just one more thing. We have a savings account for a building. And we've always just don't let that be, oh, the, that's our money for our building kind of thing. That thing just keeps growing and we just keep saying well we're we're just sort of god what do you want you know we're not just idolizing the building fund you know and god just keeps that number increasing and we keep trying to be a blessing uh, we can grow still Amen. right because our first word when we were little was not share it was mine <laughs> right 
That's our natural inclination, and it stays with us through conversion. Um, thankfully, the Holy Spirit can get a hold of us, and in moments like this, do a lasting and abiding work deep down in my heart. I was, I was convicted. I was doing some work here, and so praise the Lord. We're thankful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just we really do feel like applauding. We just have been fed. We've been challenged in such an unassuming and, and disarming way, in such a gentle manner to talk to us from heaven. You used Pastor Don in a way that really spoke to our hearts. Challenge us, continue to show us that wisdom, Lord, and just keep our hearts hungering to, to put your concerns and your kingdom first always so that we would have the kind of life that you've intended us to have in Jesus' name. And all God's people said a hearty. Amen. Amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvarytherock.org.